Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. John goes on and says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and, and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, as you can see, we have a lot to cover in these verses, and we're going to finish tonight. So, what I want to remind you is, is that when we started this study, you remember that we talked about the fact that when the Bible says, Behold, I'm coming soon, the word soon is not a word that we use to measure time and time, passage of time, but it's a word that actually means quickly or rapidly. In other words, we, as I told you before, we get our Greek word tachometer from this Greek word that is translated soon. A tachometer doesn't measure time. A tachometer measures how fast something's happening. And this could be better translated, behold, I'm coming quickly. When it is time, and the day has been set, the Bible already says, the day that he's going to judge the whole world. When it is time, the events surrounding the return of Jesus Christ will happen in a rapid fashion. And Jesus himself even said, there's the beginning of the birth pains, and then there's going to be the serious heart. As you women know, the birth pains start, but then they pick up in intensity and rapidity, correct? And it's going to happen. But I just want to remind you, look at how many times, just here in Revelation 22, that the Bible shows us that he's coming soon. We already saw in Revelation 1.1. Look at Revelation 22, verse 6. It says again, uh, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, has sent the angel to show his servants what must soon take place. It says again in verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Jump over to verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. Look at verse 20. Itself, And he, test he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Over and over, he keeps repeating, I'm coming and I'm going to come quickly. Yet at the same time, if you remember where we left off last time we were together, we were told that blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. 
The fact that he's told that he tells us that we're to keep the words of the prophecy of this book is a little bit of a hint that maybe soon in our definition is not the same thing as the soon in God's definition. Because if he's going to come quickly, why do we need to worry about keeping the words of the prophecy of this book? That was one of the problems in the early church is they believed so much in the soon in their definition return of Jesus Christ and the quick coming of Jesus that many people didn't even go to work. That's why Paul would write to churches and say, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Because they had become lazy. A lot of women had become gossipers and, and, and just malicious talkers. And the church, because they really believed in the return of Jesus and they were looking for it to happen at any moment, they actually started building a doctrine of, well, it doesn't matter what we do. We can just kind of live and it's going to happen right away. And I've heard people joke over the years that, well, I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So I'm just running up credit card debt because I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to let Satan pay for it after I'm gone. And that's a wrong mentality because God not only said I'm coming soon. He then says, blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. And so tonight what I want to do is point out a couple of things now. Before I get into how to keep it, I want to remind you and point out to you something that has jumped off the page at me. And I've had the privilege of teaching this twice now in two different places since last week when God began to show me this. Look again at verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the what? Prophecy, Prophecy of this book. Don't miss this. Because look, look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at verse eight, uh, 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy. Folks, many of us have been taught over the years that the book of Revelation is not prophecy, but apocalyptic writing. You ever heard people teach that? Actually, some people even have on their Bibles, the heading, instead of saying book of Revelation, it'll say the apocalypsis of John. There was a genre of writing called apocalyptic writing, which really got its heyday back in 200 years before Christ born in 208 B.C. all the way to 100 A.D. There was a group of people that would write apocalyptic writing and it was all symbolic and it was only to be understood by the, the enlightened. But they would just tell stories and analogies and you had to kind of figure out what everything meant. And unfortunately, the church bought into that because this book was written during that time period. And they called the book of Revelation apocalyptic writing, which, by the way, is a term that man has come up with. But I hopefully you just saw here, and it also says the same thing in chapter one. Jesus calls this prophecy. If Jesus calls the book of Revelation prophecy, is it just symbolic writing or is it going to happen? Remember, at the beginning, we started off this whole study with these things must take place four times. It says these things must take place. And that's the that same word we've already seen where it says you must be born again in John 3, 7. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So, folks, well, let me remind you, go back to chapter one of Revelation. And let me just point out something to you here. Look at chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Who wrote it? John wrote it down. But who actually gave us this book? Jesus. And if Jesus gave us the book and Jesus said these things must take place and Jesus said this is prophecy, don't fall prey to that mindset that this is just symbolic apocalyptic writing. 
If the Bible says it has to happen, and the Bible says it's prophecy, take it for real. And folks, once, hopefully throughout this whole study, two things have happened to you. Hopefully through this study, you've started to actually start to understand the book of Revelation because we've been putting it in chronological order and it's helpful to understand it. But also we've been showing you how the book of Revelation wasn't written at the end of the church age to make us all feel better and say we win. But actually all Revelation does is compile the Old Testament and the New Testament and the prophecies about the end times. Look at verse 7 again. Jesus says, I'm sorry, verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Don't miss that. God describes himself as the God of the spirits of the prophets. That means he's not just incorporating this book. He's counting all of the prophets. Now, because of the fact that I teach on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. I think there's something that I taught Wednesday night that I didn't teach Tuesday night. And if you've heard me teach this Tuesday night, because I don't remember teaching it to you, smile and act like you've heard this before. <laughs> but I want to show you something in Luke 24. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jump over to chapter 24, verse 44. See, at this point now, he reveals himself to the two men on the road to Emmaus. They run back to the upper room. Jesus appears to the disciples in, in verse 44 in the upper room. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, there's that word again, must be fulfilled. Again, all the prophecy that we know has been fulfilled, was it fulfilled literally or symbolically? Literally. When it said he ride in on a donkey, he rode in on a donkey. When it said he'd be born in Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem. I could go on and on and on. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples there in the upper room. All the things that have been written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So what Jesus does now is he helps them to understand the scriptures. Keep that in mind. Go to Acts chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and following. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, during the 40 days after his resurrection until he ascended to the Father, during those 40 days, did he appeal to, appear to Pilate and the unbelievers? No, he only appeared to the believers. And while he was appearing to them, he taught them for those 40 days about something. The scripture tells us what he taught them about. What did he teach them about? The kingdom of God. 
All right. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Then he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set. Don't miss this. Jesus describes himself in Revelation 22, 6 as the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets. Everything that has been written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He then opened their minds to understand the scriptures and for 40 days taught them about the kingdom of God. After having their minds open to the scriptures and being taught about the kingdom of God after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples did not now believe that the kingdom of God was some spiritual thing. They still believed in a literal kingdom of God on the earth, centered in Israel. After all that teaching, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They still believed it to be literal, didn't they? Let me give you one more example. Go to Acts chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Full of the Spirit. That means under the control of the Holy Spirit. Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 3. And look at what he says in verse 17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, that he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. By the way, if you know anything about the Old Testament prophecies, and hopefully by the end of this study you know a little bit more, the Bible actually talks more about the second coming of Jesus to the earth than the first coming of Jesus to the earth. And the prophecies about his second coming are very literal. They talk about how, G how Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, how it's going to be raised up. It's going to be rebuilt from this tower to this gate. We've already seen in Ezekiel 47 and 48 and the redistribution of the tribes of Israel and where they're going to get their land. And where they get their land is totally different from when he gave it to them the first time in Joshua. All the way through, folks, I want you to understand that this book is not apocalyptic writing. It's not to be taken symbolically. It is to be taken literally because it is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. It must take place. And those who add to it and those who ignore parts, the Bible says he'll deal with you seriously. So, folks... Years ago, when I was a younger preacher, whenever I would teach the book of Revelation or a prophecy about the end times, I would say, well, the amillennialists believe this, and the post-tribulationists post believe this, and the pre-tribs, and I would lay out all the different views until God got a hold of me one time, and He really convicted me, and He said, Jim, why are you teaching what you don't believe? Why would I ever teach what I don't think the Bible teaches? And so, folks, I will stand before you knowing the Bible says in actually it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, that we sorry, 26, that we will all be held accountable for every idle word. Yet in James chapter three, verse one, the scripture says that you should not all seek to be teachers because those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability. Did you catch what I just said? The Bible says that everybody in the world will be held accountable for every idle word. 
Yet those of us who teach are going to be held in even stricter accountability. I take very serious the prophecy of the book of Revelation, and I take very serious the, the warnings in the book of Revelation that says don't add to it and don't take away. And that's why throughout my study, I will only try to use what Scripture says and show you what I believe the Scripture says. And I won't say, well, I'm just I'm going to ignore that part. I'm going to teach you because the Bible says we don't add to it and we don't take away from it. And I believe the Spirit of God will take us to understand what it means. Amen. But I will stand before God one day. And so I say to you all, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, and when all this stuff begins to really take place, it's going to happen soon. It's going to happen rapidly. It's going to happen quickly. So the question is, how do we keep the words of the prophecy then? Jim, how do we keep it? How many of you believe what I just said, that whole introduction? You've already begun to keep it. You have to first believe it in order to keep it. You've got to believe that it's true in order to keep it. Not only that, we're to share it. Part of keeping it is that we've been given the responsibility of passing it on. Don't just say, well, this is what I believe, and that's between me and God, and, and I don't want to cause problems. Don't be afraid to share with people what you believe the Bible teaches about things to come. Again, 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but gently instruct. Don't get into arguments with people about it. Just say, I think it's literal, and here's why, and just leave it at that, and let the, the Spirit of God take them where they need to be. But you remember that Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. And on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go into all the world and make disciples. Listen to what he says. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Does that include the book of Revelation? If it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And blessed are those who read aloud and keep the words of the prophecy of the book. He says it at the beginning in chapter 1. He says it again in chapter 2 at the close of this book. Folks, we need to believe that this book is true. And we need to tell people that it's true. But Jim, they, you know, even in Christendom, they don't agree with that. That's okay. That's all right. Because I used to try to make everybody in the church happy. I was a pastor. I used to try to keep them all happy. That's how a lot of people, you control your pastor. We'll stop giving. We'll go somewhere else. Guess what? If they're godly men, they don't care. They are more interested in doing what God says than whether or not they're keeping you happy. So, folks, I'm almost near death. I'm 51. I'm, I mean, it, it's going to happen soon. It's got to happen soon. What does he mean by idle word? Words, uh, there's lots of ways we could define idle word, but the short answer is any word that's coming from your flesh and not from the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad that we're under grace? Aren't you glad that we're under grace? Now, let me just also tell you, by the way, the Bible says that's wise. The fool's considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. All right. But let me show you something else. If we're to keep it, we're not to keep bad stuff, are we? Are, are we to hold a grudge? Are we to keep a record of wrongs according to the scriptures? No, we're to think on what is pure. We're to, the stuff that we're to keep the things that we're to hold on to is the good stuff. Well, folks, if you believe this to be true, this is the best stuff. You know why? Well, let me just prove it to you. Go back to Revelation 22 and look at John's reaction to what we just talked about. 
Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. He was so overwhelmed, he fell at the feet of the angel and started to worship. The angel says, get up, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, you might say, okay, he just got a little overwhelmed. No, he got a lot overwhelmed. You know how I can prove to you he got, he got a lot overwhelmed? He'd already done this and been told not to do it. Go back to chapter 19. Look at verses 6 through 10. He's been seeing the return of Jesus Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and all this stuff. And look at verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, reign, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at His feet to worship Him. But He said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers hold to the, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So He had already fallen down at the feet of the angel who was showing Him this stuff. It was so overwhelming, He just couldn't help but just start worshiping. And the angel says, Get up! Two chapters later, He does it again! I don't know if you got this yet or not. What is to come is mind-blowing. So much so that John, who should know better, kept falling down at the feet of the angel who just told him about these things. And he got to see them. Well, let me just let the Bible speak for itself. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says he's able to do even more than we could ever imagine or ask or even think. Have you all had some days that you ever sat and just kind of meditated a little bit and thought about heaven? Has anybody ever thought about heaven? I have. Guess what? It's even better than you imagine. Oh, Jim, I've got a pretty good imagination. Well, the Bible says it's even more than you could imagine. Well, let me show you another one. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. First Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now it goes on and says he's revealed some of these things to us through his spirit so we can get glimpses of it. But at the same time, what he has in store for us is far more than we ever could imagine, ask or think. All right. Now let's go over to Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. We just read them, let me remind you. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Of course, he was told not to do that. Romans 8, verse 18. Does anybody know what Romans 8, 18 says? Paul says, I consider that our present suffering is not even worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. How do we keep it? We believe that this stuff is going to happen. We know what it says. We put it in our heart. We meditate on it. We tell other people about it. And we get excited about what is to come.
we get excited about what is to come, and we avoid the tendency in Christendom today to avoid the book of Revelation, to avoid things about the end times, because nobody really knows, and there's so much controversy, so let's just leave it alone. When the beginning of the book said, blessed are those who read this book, and take to heart what's written in it, who keep the words of the prophecy. As you've heard me say, I travel around and so many, you would blow your mind how many pastors won't even touch the book of Revelation because of the controversy about the book of Revelation. And I look at them lovingly but boldly and say, and that's the only book that says a blessing for those who read it, and that's the one you're going to skip? <laughs> Haven't you also been told by God that you're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God? Paul, when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, said to them, all your blood is not on my head. Not on my, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have not hesitated to show you everything that the Scripture said and that God showed me. If I teach you the whole Bible but leave off the book of Revelation, I have not taught the whole counsel of God, and I've been unfaithful to the book that says, blessed are those who read aloud this book. And you know what? Those of you who have been listening to me teach over the years, you know this is actually the, at least the third or fourth time I've taught all the way through the book of Revelation. And if Jesus tarries, I can't wait to teach it again in a few years because I keep seeing more and more and more every time as the day gets closer. Now, look at verse 10, though, of, Revel of Revelation 22. John's told not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, again, this is important, and it would make a whole lot more sense if you had known your Old Testament, because Daniel was given prophecy that's very similar to a lot of the stuff we read in Revelation, was he not? Go to Daniel chapter 12 and look what God told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Daniel chapter 12, look at verses 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at the, that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. He was told, you're not to pass this on. Seal up the words of the prophecy. This isn't going to happen until the time of the end. John was told, don't seal up the words of the prophecy, because the time is near. First and foremost, hopefully you understand, ever since this was, book was written, 95 AD, we've been in the time of the end. Because it's not going to be opened until the time of the end. We're, we've been in the time of the end since, actually, the Bible says the last days began when Jesus came to the earth. Now, what I also want you to understand is this. The Bible says in the book of Peter that the prophets, when the Spirit of God spoke through them and they wrote their prophecies, searched intently as to the times and the seasons and when these things were going to happen. And they were told, it's not going to happen in your lifetime it's going to happen in a future lifetime. And folks, we have been given this wonderful privilege of being on this side of the cross, first of all, have we not? I mean, don't all the prophecies about what Jesus would do in His first coming make a whole lot more sense on this side of the cross? Thank God we're on this side of the cross. 
Yet at the same time, we're also living in a day, which was hinted at here in the rest of verse 4, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Can we not agree that in just our lifetime that is happening? You've heard me say this before, but I'll remind you of it. When Paul traveled the world in his missionary journeys, the transportation method was sails and wood. A thousand years later, when Columbus was sailing the seas, what was the technology? Sails and wood. Yet in our lifetime, we have seen space shuttles become extinct. You have more technology on the side of your hip right now than they had in the first lunar launch. Probably almost 10 times as much technology right here. And mine's a 5C, I think, or whatever it is, and everybody laughs at me because it's an antique. I used to wrestle with the Bible saying that when the two witnesses were killed, the whole world will watch at the same time and look at their dead bodies and give each other's gifts. And as a young kid thinking, how in the world is that going to happen? Everybody can sit and watch it on their phone. Folks, the stuff that didn't make any sense is starting to make a lot of sense. Those of us who lived prior to 1948 didn't have any understanding of how the prophecies about Israel and the land were ever going to be fulfilled. There is no Israel. They've been scattered. There is no Israel. How could they ever be a nation again? Even if there's a Jew that exists here and there, there's no way that nation will ever be a nation again. They're hated by everybody on the planet. How could that ever happen? And then in one day, boom, they became a nation, just like the prophecy said. Folks, let me just tell you, we're living in an amazing time. We're to keep the words of the prophecy. Believe it, share it, get excited about it. Understand there's going to be people who think you're crazy if you pre-trib people. But hopefully I've been used of God through this study to help you to be able to answer with love and say, this isn't just because this is what I like, but this is what the Bible teaches and why and here and how. And you know what? If Jesus takes us tomorrow and the internet stays in effect, the teaching of this book will still be in audio form for God to use however he chooses. What are you leaving behind? Are you writing letters to your grandchildren? Are you finding some way to share this and pass it on to them? That if they do go through that tribulation period, what you've planted will be able to take root at that time. We don't know if your family will come to know the Lord in your lifetime. But we know that if, when Jesus takes us, there are going to be opportunities for them to be, be saved. Leave some things behind. As you've heard me say, we have a rapture packet in our master bedroom of our house. A big packet on the wall with a picture of the whole family. And it says, are you looking for us? Because we know that in our neighborhood, in our nice little street we've been living on now for 15 years, that we've developed a relationship. And after a while, these people that take care of our dog and look after us, and we actually had a person break into our house one time. And as my wife came home, the lady, lady across the street, thank God for Alice Kravitz, who ran across the street and said, hey, there's a man in your house, don't go in there, and I don't know who he is. We have people going in and out all the time, but she didn't recognize this guy. And someone had broken into our house, and actually, he was just stoned out of his mind and thought that was his ex-wife's house. And he just happened to go in a side garage door, strip himself down to his underwear, grabbed an orange out of the, out of the refrigerator and sat on the couch and passed out. <laughs> My wife calls me from the garage and says, there's a, I, there's a man in our house. I'm like, where are you calling from? She said, the garage. I said, get out of the garage. 
I went running over there, and when I showed up, the police all had their tasers marked on them, and the poor guy didn't even know what was happening. I mean, there was money everywhere, laying on dressers and different things, and he wasn't there to steal nothing. He was just trying to talk to his ex-wife and take her back or whatever, I don't know. And he didn't need to take his pants off to do that, but... Uh, <laughs> But these neighbors that we've developed a relationship with over the years, even though we've shared with them, they're not all going to go in the rapture. And we've left it behind that if they go looking through our house to find us because they haven't seen us in a while, they're going to find a packet that says, are you looking for us? We haven't been taken against our will, as some people may be saying, but this is something we've been looking for for a long time. Jesus has come to take us home. And if you're curious about what's going to happen next, open this packet. Inside will be a lot of scriptures to tell you what's going to happen. And we've done that all. And I say to you again, as we've said before, if you want the information that we have in our packet, send us an email. We'll email it to you. Everything's already been put together. All you got to do is take your picture and put your packet on the wall. <laughs> Folks, we've been told to keep the words of the prophecy. You keep it by believing it. You keep it by sharing it. You keep it by being excited about it and not being afraid to tell people it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't seal it up. Don't seal it up. Go to Revelation chapter 10. Look at verse 4. This might help you with the whole don't seal it up thing. Revelation chapter 10 verse 4. Look at what happens. John heard the seven thunders speak, if you remember and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it down. Uh, sealing it up means more than not writing it down. It means what? Don't speak it. Don't pass it on. So if it's unsealed, don't seal up the words of the prophecy. He was to write it down and we're to tell it and we're to tell it. Now, verse 11 of Revelation 22 has given a lot of people problem over the years. Because in the midst of all this, it says, Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And we, we've often wondered, wait a minute, why? Why are they saying evildoers still be evil, and the righteous be righteous? Why, why would he say that? Actually, if you let the whole of Scripture help you interpret Scripture, you'll find that this is actually very simple to understand. These verses show that those who choose to re reject God's offer of salvation will continue in it. And those who accept God's offer of salvation will continue in it. Plain and simple. It's that simple. Remember Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. We'll turn there. But in Revelation 14, 9 through 11, whoever took of the mark of the beast, what happened to those people? They were damned, weren't they? From that point on, they could not be saved. They had made their choice. They had sealed their fate. And they're going to be wicked for the rest of their life. But what does the Bible say to us who respond to God's offer of salvation? Never will I blot your name out of the book of life. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm going to make you a, temp a pillar in the temple of my God and you'll never leave it. All this verse is saying, if you reject God's offer of salvation, you're going to be that way forever. If you receive God's offer of salvation, you're going to be that way forever. Behold, I'm coming soon. When, when does that, forever, uh, that opportunity to respond? Because it's not too late. Verse 12 shows us when it's too late. When he returns and judges everyone. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. That's when it's too late. It's not too late now. If anybody's listening to us right now online, if Jesus hasn't returned yet, 
It's not too late. Oh, if you're going to be wicked, you're going to be wicked for eternity. If you're going to be righteous, you're going to be righteous for eternity because God gives it to you and you'll never lose it. But He's given an opportunity. You say, well, Jim, how do we know it's not too late? Well, look at verse 20, chapter 22, verse 17. If it's, if it's too late already, why would the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He's still offering salvation. Have you, does anybody see it? Even at the end, after all this has been shown, after the tribulation period, after the millennial kingdom, after the, the, lay, the laying out of the new heaven and the new earth, this stuff will happen. It must take place, but it hasn't happened yet. He's showing us ahead of time so that we can respond appropriately to the Spirit's call. And the Spirit and the bride call to everyone and say, Come, whoever's thirsty, come, receive this salvation. Receive this eternal life that's without price. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And this has caused some people to think that in the new heaven and the new earth, inside the city will be the righteous people and all the unrighteous people will be outside the city on the earth. No, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. Now, will they be outside the city? Yes, in the sense that it's not hell's not inside the city. But where does the Bible already shown us all the unrighteous, including Satan himself, are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire? But listen closely to me. I can't prove it 100% from Scripture, but I'm willing to speculate here because I think there's enough Scripture to head in this direction. I think the people in hell will see heaven for eternity. I think a part of what they're going to experience in hell will be the fact that they are able to see what they missed out on for eternity. And we get a glimpse of that, do we not, in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man? We do not see that Lazarus could see Hades, but the rich man could see, as he was in torment, he could see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom in the presence of God. And he called out and he was able to recognize him. And he said, send Lazarus down to stick his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Isn't that amazing how he's in hell and he's still trying to boss Lazarus around? <laughs> his attitude had changed a lot, hadn't it? I think that the Bible hints at the fact that those who are in hell will see what they've missed out on for eternity. Again, don't get too bogged down by it because that's just pure speculation. But I think there's enough scripture to at least say that to you. Because here, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And as we've already talked about, all of us have this in us. But we've been washed. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. All right. Look closely at 2 Peter chapter 3. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Very familiar passage, but I want to read it to you. All verses, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I mean, you want to talk about the whole end times being laid out in one simple sermon. Paul, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first off, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? Don't miss that. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Don't miss that. 
Are these believers or unbelievers who are mocking? We want to say unbelievers, but do the unbelievers believe that there was a creation? The unbelievers don't really believe there was a creation. Most of them believe in a Big Bang explosion, evolution over billions and billions of years. There's a hint there that some of this scoffing will come from within the believing community. Because they hint at creation. Keep reading. Go ahead. He starts out addressing this to beloved. Yeah. Keep reading. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day the Lord will come like a thief. That's that soon. That's that quickly thing. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Folks, that's why he hasn't come yet. Oh, the day's been set. Well, Jim, how do we speed its coming if it's already been set? You ever had that question? How do we speed the coming of a day that's already been set? Um, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever watched a slow base runner rounding third? <laughs> He's only going to get there so fast. But what do you do while he's rounding third if you want him to score? Come on, baby. Come on. I used to yell to, I'm not going to say his name, AJ, because that's his initials. But I used to say, drop the piano and run. <laughs> you know why I would say to my son, drop the piano and run? Because that's what my dad used to say to me when I rounded third. Drop the piano and run. I've never been fast either, but what do you do? You're cheering it on. You're saying, come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. And that's how we speed it's coming. It's set. We're not going to make it happen a day sooner or a day later. Don't let anybody fall you into thinking, well, as soon as we get that last Gentile saved. No, 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 no. This is the work of God. And he uses us and he doesn't need us. But what we do is we believe it and we cheer it and we hasten it in that sense. Come well, I'm jumping to the end of the book of Revelation, but if you remember, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's hastening the day that has already been set. There's nothing wrong with saying, you're in control, do it however you want. Today's a good day with me. There's nothing wrong with that at all. He's still God, but there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm good with it now. But look quickly at how Jesus keeps describing himself all through this chapter. I'm going to show you, pull it, point out two places. Look at verses, verse 13. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When he calls himself the Alpha and Omega, hopefully you understand that's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. 
He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You do know in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. All right? Nothing that has been made hasn't been made through Him. Colossians says the same thing in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. So in other words, when he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's not only the one that created everything, he's the one who brings it to a close. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Let me show you what I mean. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you a quick question. Does not the Bible clearly say, wasn't one of the first things God ever explained to the nation of Israel when He gave them the Ten Commandments, that you'll have no other gods before me? You are not to bow down to anyone but me? Not even an idol? Then why does the Bible tell us to bow, that everybody's going to bow to Jesus? Because He's God. He's not just a man who became God. He has been God all along. He didn't receive the Spirit of God at the moment that he had his baptism, as some people teach. He's always been God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. When he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's pretty much saying, I'm God. Deal with it. Plain and simple. As I share my faith with people and they say, well, I think Jesus was a good teacher. I look at them and say, he didn't give you that option. They said, what do you mean? I said, let's just say, for example, that President Obama stood up on television today and made the statements that Jesus made. Jesus said, I'm God. I can forgive your sins. I'm the only way you can get to the Father. If Obama stood in front of the, t the world today on television and said, I'm God, I can forgive your sins, and I'm the only way to the Father, we now cannot say, well, I think he was a good president. We would now have to choose and make a decision. Either he was lying to us, or he's lost his mind, and he thinks this stuff is true when it's not, or it's true. We have to decide. And since Jesus made those statements... I'm God, I can forgive your sins, and there's no way of the Father except through me. We can't just say, well, I think he was a good teacher. No, he either was a liar, or a nut, or it's God. And we all have to make that decision. And so when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he's saying to us and to everyone, you've got a choice you've got to make. I didn't leave it for you to think I'm a good teacher or I have some good sayings. I just said, I'm God. You've got to choose whether or not you accept it. But then he says something else. Go back to chapter 22 and look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, and I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, some of you might not have caught this. He's not only just said that he's God, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Now he says he's the descendant of David. Wait a minute. How can God come from a man? Well, that's because he's now showing us that not only is he God, he's also man. The only one in the world. The only one that ever will be. The prophecies in the Bible said, for the sake of time we won't turn there, but in, in Isaiah, 
chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says in the prophecy that there was going to be this one that comes from Jesse. As you know, Jesse gave birth to David as one of his sons, and Jesus came from David. The spirit of this was going to be on him, and it showed the seven spirits of God. We've already looked at that earlier in our study. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, look real quickly, let me just read it to you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the scripture says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So here, Jesus is described at the beginning of the book of Matthew as the son of David. Actually, when Jesus describes himself as the root and the descendant of David, we've already seen that in Revelation chapter 5. Listen to verse 5, Revelation 5, 5. It says, um, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings. Sorry, that's chapter 4. Let me go to chapter 5, verse 5. And it says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is not only God, folks, he's man. He was 100% man, and he's 100% God, and he always has been and always will be. Could he say that, Jim, also to make sure people know that he's still tied to Israel? Oh, without question, it's tied to the fact that he's still tied to Israel. But it's also to point out something to us. The only way I can get to heaven because of my sin is if a man is punished in my place. A man sinned, a man has to be punished in my place. The blood of lambs and goats and bulls do not take away sin of man. It has to be the sin and the sacrifice of a man. By the way, there's not one in the world who's able to be that sacrifice. That's what the cross is all about. And if you can all come with me to New Hampshire, I can't wait. I'm going to be preaching five messages just on the cross. Because the cross is so central to everything we understand and believe. When I'm going to be in New Hampshire, I'm going to preach five messages just on the cross. But let me just say this much to you. He has to be man, and he has to be God, and he has to be both, and he says that he is. But he also describes himself in another way in this verse. He describes himself as the bright morning star. Now, for some of us, we're like, well, what does that really mean? Well... If you knew your Old Testament. I had to get it in one more time. Go to Numbers chapter 24. The book of Numbers even. Remember, all the things written about him have to be fulfilled in the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms. Numbers 24, verses 15 through 19. Remember when Balaam was being hired by Balak to curse Israel? And every time he'd go, even though his motives weren't right, the Spirit of God would prophesy blessings on Israel through his mouth. Here's one of those times, chapter 24 of Numbers, verse 15. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. So at this point now, we've seen a little bit of a prophecy that a star is going to come from Jacob, which, as you know, is the nation of Israel. Go to Isaiah chapter 60. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover over the earth and thick darkness upon the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Again, given to the nation of Israel and that, that, that there was going to be darkness over the face of the earth, as we already know. And then the, the, the light was going to come. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through and, and following. Luke 1. Starting in verse 67, Zechariah now starts prophesying and the Spirit of God speaking through him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we've already seen now a star is going to come from Israel. We see that this is brightness is going to come and shine upon Israel and also the sunrise shall visit us. By the way, hopefully you do understand what is the morning star? Oh, it's Jesus, but it's the what? It's the sun. The sun is just a star. It just happens to be close enough to light our planet. It's the morning star. It's called sunrise, sunset. The morning, he calls himself the bright morning star. The bright morning star is the sun. It's also representative, and it is Jesus, and he'll be given to us. Don't miss this. Revelation 2. I know what time it is, and we can finish. You just got to listen a tad quicker. All right? <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. Listen to what has already been promised to us. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 29. The one who conquers and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you catch that? Second Peter chapter 1. This is, the, this is the best one. This one ties it all together, and this one gets me kind of excited. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glo glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. By the way, that's on the Mount of Transfiguration. All right. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Did you catch that? In other words, what he's saying is this, is we right now, with Jesus living in us and the, and the Spirit of God living within us, 
We have a taste of this glory. But the Bible says there will come a time, it's at the end, when our flesh is gone and we get our new bodies. And when that happens, the morning star, which we've had a picture of its glory in every sunrise, which is a picture of who Jesus is, is going to one day rise in our hearts. He's talking to believers here, is he not? In other words, he says that same glory that we saw kind of come out of Jesus on that mountain, we're going to experience it as well. Didn't I tell you last week I think we're going to glow? <laughs> Folks, have you ever had even a taste of what I'm talking about at times when you've been in prayer? Or have been a certain time when you've just been alone with the Father and He just every now and then give you a taste of that glory? You know what I'm talking about? You just want to just stay there, don't you? Sometimes it's overwhelming. And God didn't design us to live like that all the time. But the Bible says there will be a day that He's designed us to live like that all the time. He's going to rise in our hearts. And it's going to be an amazing time where no more of the struggle of flesh will there be. And it's going to be an amazing thing when the true Jesus who lives within us is given full control. That's going to be pretty cool. And I wish I could say more, but I can't. Well, we've already seen the warnings in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. We won't turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 12, 4, 2, 12, 32. If you're writing this down, Deuteronomy 4, 2, 12, 32. In Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, the scriptures already warned us. Already warned us. Don't add to the words. Don't take away from the words. That's been warned all the way through. Now you say, Jim, but it looks like they'll lose their salvation if I do this. Again, for the sake of time and for the whole, using the whole of scripture, the Bible teaches that there are such things as false teachers. And these false teachers are the ones who add to the book and take away from the book. These are the ones who teach doctrines of demons that don't match up with the whole of Scripture. They use a verse here and a verse there. And they, just like Satan could quote Scripture, because Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus, did he not? But the Bible says that these false teachers never had salvation. Remember what we saw earlier in verse 11? What used to be a problem for us, now is a wonderful blessing. May the wicked keep being wicked. May the righteous keep being righteous. If you're in Christ, you might have even taught it wrong a few times. So have I. But the more I walk with him, the more I start to lit, listen and let the scripture speak, the more he guides me into the truth and shows me what's to come. And I'm learning more and I'm learning more and I'm learning more. Do I have it all figured out? No. Do you? No. But I can tell you this much. There's a man that every time I preach, he hasn't always agreed with me in theology, but he'll always come up to me and say, you're getting closer to the truth. Now, at first, when he used to say that to me, it would make me mad because I always thought that he thought he had the truth and I was getting closer to where he was. But now I know what he's saying. I am getting closer to the truth. The truth is Jesus. And I'm getting closer to Jesus. So, folks, I just want to challenge you. Keep the words of the prophets of this book. Leave it. It's, it's going to happen. And how does Jesus end the book? Look at here at the very end, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. What should be our response? Yeah. Amen. It's right here. Your script is right in front of you. Read your lines. I'm going to start again now. I'm going to read you Jesus' lines. I'm going to have you read your line. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And we say, 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the God of grace be with you all. And we need, thank you, and we need his grace, don't we? Not only for salvation, but for every day. Folks, it's been a fun, fun study. And I already, tonight, was thinking, man, there's 17 more things I would love to show you. But that's going to have to be the next time we study Revelation. We'll see you in a couple of months when we study the book of Ezekiel. I love you all. Thanks for coming.